this epic run just continues, Jack, and the way they're winning these hockey games, the way they're figuring it out is just unbelievable. 7.03 on a Tuesday. It's a Big Band Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of this program. We're kicking it off right now. It's brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. No compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. Jason? We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? You're waiting for Kintec. It is crazy to me sometimes when we sit back and look at the long decorated history of the Edmonton Oilers with all the great teams and the Hall of Famers and the multiple Stanley Cups that it's this team, this current iteration of the Oilers that have put together not just the longest win streak in franchise history, but they're Mm. one win away from tying the longest winning streak in NHL history. For more on the Edmonton Oilers, uh, we go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. I know that that hotline bling. It is Bob Stoffer, Oilers Radio, Sportsnet Panelist here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Bob. How are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Uh, good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So, um, being around the team, being around other media members, did you get the sense that the Oilers maybe didn't especially want to have this vacation, go to this all-star break because, you know, they've they've won 16 games in a row and maybe it was a good time to keep the good vibes rolling in Edmonton. I guess we'll find out uh, a week from today when we're in Vegas, which is the same time as Super Bowl week and it's an ESPN national broadcast in the States. Um, fair question. And just to point something out, the Oilers started the year 12-0-3 in 84-85. That was the team that was voted the greatest team in NHL history by the fans, though I'd assert you the 86-87 team was better on paper. They just had a longer run against Philadelphia that year in the final. Uh, but they didn't have the advantage of having, you know, shootouts and games decided by sure. overtime. So they started the year with a 15-game undefeated streak, and that's something that worked against those great Oilers teams back in the 1980s. It's, uh, it's, it's been quite a run. Uh, it's been... A crazy year. The last time we were in Vancouver, Jay Woodcock got tossed out of the game. And uh, the team was in seemingly in peril. And I do think that a lot of people looked at some of the advanced analytics on the team and thought that certainly the offense was going to turn around. But I think the biggest surprise has just been, you know, maybe not for me as much because I knew Crystal Knobloch pretty well. But, uh, you know, I, I've seen the type of system and style that they're playing. Uh, before, because one of the people that Chris referenced when he first took the job, I did Chris's games as well 25 years ago. So uh, it's 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 been in, it's been interesting. Uh, it's been uh, quite the quite the turnaround, and it's no longer about the numbers that they've got during his 26 and six run as a coach. It's now the numbers they've had since the start of the year that are clearly illustrate they've got a pretty good hockey club. What are the specifics of the system change that Chris Knobloch brought in? So you guys, uh, you know, Rick Talk had had a captive audience when he went into Vancouver. The Canucks had uh, 
last year, uh, what is it, seven of the last eight years, Vancouver's missed the playoffs. They had some good players, but you had a small defense and your bottom six sucked. So, you know, Jim Rutherford and Alvin went out and Vancouver made five of the eight trades uh, to start the year. Uh, and that corresponded with completely rebuilding the defense and adding significant size to your back end. And suddenly your bottom six wasn't a liability. And you stole a player like Lafferty, who I've loved forever, and all the way back to when he was in Chicago. And, uh, you know, you, you, had a, you had a significantly upgraded team. And it was evident the first two times in Vancouver that the Oilers played there. And I think in the Oilers' case, uh, they lost to Vegas in a series in which Edmonton had to lead in every game. And so there was a belief that Edmonton squandered a real opportunity against the Golden Knights. And Vegas is a team with Bruce Cassidy. Uh, when he played in Boston, they played straight zone D. Uh, Jim Montgomery kept that zone defense. Um, and the Oilers played a hybrid under Jay Woodcroft. They played the, the forwards up high, and then they played a low three-on-three. The only problem with playing man come playoff time is I think that you can run more picks and smart veteran teams know how to create, uh, you know, scoring chances off a long cycles. And that's what Vegas did as a series of own. And they dominated Edmonton five on five. Um, and they won game five and game six, despite the fact that the Oilers had the puck more. But Vegas played a real smart cagey game. Jay went to, uh, you know, tried to uh, move to, to zone defense. He never coached it before in his uh, three and a half years coach in the American League or in his roughly two seasons as a head coach with the Oilers. And he started the year with zone and the Oilers just got lit up. One of the things they did, the premise behind zone is you always have a net front with a defenseman. Mm-hmm. And when you get the puck with zone, usually the good teams use the middle of the ice in transition because you know where everybody is and you can quickly counter strike. Um, and zone works. I mean, in the NFL, zone defense started because nobody could cover Bob Hayes because five foot 11, 175 pound cornerbacks couldn't cover the fastest man on the planet. So teams dropped safety back to help support the cornerbacks and the, and the NBA guys, uh, the NBA eliminated zone defense because the games are too low scoring. Right. NHL, you have sort of an old school mentality that thankfully we've started to move past, but uh, we don't play that way. And we play, now Carolina very successfully plays man defense. They can do it really well. Uh, but bottom line, Jay tried to play it. It didn't work. The Oilers pivoted back to their hybrid for the Heritage Classic. And then in the four games after the Heritage Classic, which includes the game against the Canucks, Edmonton had 160 shots on goal and scored seven goals in the next four games. Right. And that kind of undermined things. Knobloch came in. He came in of the University of Alberta program with Rob Dom. That's the guy that he mentioned. That's where I did his games uh, back in 99-2000. And when he was as a freshman there, and they have been playing zone at that school since the late 1970s. Okay, and they use the middle of the ice on transition. They want their defense making plays. And so he came in. Paul Coffey as coach. Paul said to the defense, "I want you making plays." He did two things. He said, "You're going to sit together in the dressing room instead of being all spread apart." And I, instead of telling them, look, I won, you know, four, four Norris trophies and Stanley Cups, he said, you know what I'm known for? I made more mistakes than any other defenseman in NHL history. And you're, you know what? You're going to make plays. If you make a mistake, we'll deal with it. We'll overcome it. But we're going to, and the putt skills on the order's defense has dramatically changed. He basically empowered his D is what he did. Mm-hmm. So Chris 
you know, as coached from when he was in Kootenai, when he was in Erie, and when he was at the Rangers, 12 years as a head coach, he's run this style of defense every step of the way. And uh, I think it provides more options in transition. When you get the puck, everybody knows where it is. And the other thing that Knobloch's done is he's really he's he's quiet and he's chill and he's under control on the bench and he doesn't yap the officials. There's you know it's just it's a very calm team right now. And frankly, they also had an easier schedule. I mean, that's the other thing that kind of worked to their advantage. But they the biggest thing is they've they've switched to a system that the coach knows that the coach has taught every step of the way in his journey that he's had success with a defensive-minded team in Kootenai, an offensive-minded team in Erie. And uh, in the end result here, as they started to gain some traction and play to a level that a lot of people thought they were going to. See, I thought he was just hired because he knew Connor McDavid. See, you've given me such a great explanation there. That was, an, that was a lot of backstory. Well, yeah, he, like, he, I, pulled off, he pulled off what I think still is the biggest single playoff run upset in the WHL last 25 years. Like... There's no way Kootenai should have beaten Saskatoon back in 2011. The Blades had traded for Braden Shin when he was the best player in junior hockey. He was uh, the star of the World Juniors that year. That was the year Canada blew that 3 nothing lead in the final to the Russians. And then they and then they beat Portland in the final. Mm-hmm. And Portland had uh, Johansson and Niederreiter back that year. And that's the last time one team's had two top five picks in the NHL draft on the same team back for a junior year. So those, you know, like, their best offensive player was Cody Eakin. That's kind of really, you know, it's kind of really when he got on everybody's radar screen. Uh, the, the the four years in area, he had four fifty win seasons. He's the first major junior coach in history to win fifty games four seasons in a row. In two of those years, he didn't have David. So to quote Kelly McCrimmon, who's a pretty good manager, he, he said to me, he said, "Bob, this is what I'll tell you about Chris Knobloch. Chris Knobloch wins games, and managers like coaches that win games." How much has the coaching changes, the system changes, how much have they helped the goaltending? I think you guys know the answer to that question. Yeah. I don't think necessarily that we could say Skinner is Demko. Like when I looked at Vancouver, I knew they were going to take a big step forward this year. Uh, Demko was going to be healthy. They had a way bigger defense than they've had in the past. And Talkett had a captive audience because the Canucks hadn't gotten anywhere for years. And, uh, and then your management team was relentless in proving the, uh, you know, them improving the team. And they've been just take a look at the body of work, right? Like dumping Tanner Pearson, get a backup goalie and getting the cap space to add Lafferty, just that, that combination of moves in itself. And the orders were in on uh, Lafferty as well. They should have offered one, one round higher of a pick to Brad tree living to get him. So, you know, you get a goalie. Let's see what was Pat Burns saying? Goaltending seventy percent of hockey. Unless you don't have it, then it's a hundred percent of hockey. Right. This, right. Like I didn't. I didn't. I wanted the Oilers' save percentage by the end of the year to be middle of the pack to, to make the playoffs. Well, they're fourteenth in the league on January the thirtieth, and um, you know they were they were thirty first when the coaching change occurred. It, you know, like Skinner was at eight sixty. So just to just to put things in perspective, they were 30th in the league in goals against, and 30th in the league in penalty killing. When uh, when Knobloch took over, they're fourth in the league in goals against since Knobloch took over, uh, and they're they're leading the NHL in penalty killing. 
since since Chris became the head coach. So those are pretty and, – and we're now talking 32 games. We're not talking a, a short 10-game sample size. So it's pretty – they always had decent, you know, expected goals, four or five-on-five five numbers. They were first under Jay, and they remained first under Chris. But, you know, Skinner has – He's calmed himself down. I don't think there's any. He was pretty good goal. I wouldn't call him elite athletically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from that Lyle Mast OR Sports head placement tracking school, uh, which for, is focused on you know economy of movement for goalies and those sort of things. But he's he's still only 25. Like where is he going to be at 27 or 28? But I think the biggest thing that's happened is the A grade scoring opportunities, especially off the rush. And that's the one thing that uh, they alternate a bit under Knobloch is they change a little bit of their neutral zone depending upon who they play. Um, but they've given up way fewer chances off the rush. And teams were sealing the wall on them when they were trying to, which is what the Canucks did, when they tried to cycle a puck, or, or when the uh, Oilers tried to break out under under Woodcroft because they weren't using the middle of the ice in transition. So mm-hmm. they were an easy team to seal the walls on. And uh, that's obviously changed with Edmonton's ability to transi- transition the puck and who they have. But no question, um, Skinner, I don't think has faced the same degree of difficulty. Last three or four games, I think there's been a few more opportunities for opposition teams, and he's just been there to shut the door. So one final quick question. There's a lot going right for the Oilers right now, and we knew heading into the season that they were going to be um, – a team that many people expected to compete for a Stanley Cup. This is a weird question to ask of a team that's on like a 16-game winning streak. Um, but what is it that would keep Oilers fans up at night about this team? Is there an Achilles heel to this team? Like, say well, for an injury to Connor McDavid or an injury to, to Dreisaitl. You, you just answered your question. I mean, is that it? What happens? If, yeah, uh, what happens if the Canucks lose Pedersen, right? Or, right. or Quinn Hughes? Uh, in Edmonton's case, if they lose Connor or Leon. I mean, and that's the other thing that we should factor is Ekholm was not ready at the start of the season and played through an injury for the first 10 games. And McDavid came back after two games for something that would take mere mortals two to four weeks to return from, uh, which was a bit of a core injury. That's that's the one, right? Like, I think, uh, and, and maybe you could add Skinner into it because I think there would be concern about depth and goaltending as well. Those would all be fair. I expect them to be uh, an active team looking for one more middle six forward, preferably a right shot, maybe a center. Um, I think they got enough depth in the organization on defense. they got a lot of bigger, rangier defensemen coming in the farm. Broberg's playing very well for them. Uh, he just didn't get a chance to play up here when they went 11-7. and seven. They've completely pivoted away from that, gone 12-6 and six every game. But injury would be the biggest concern. Bob, this was great, man. Thanks for taking the time to do it. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the break, and then enjoy that first game back in Vegas. That should be a beauty. Well, we'll definitely enjoy Vegas. You guys take care. <laughs> Thanks, See Bob. You, Bob. Uh, Bob Stoffer, Oilers radio color man and Sportsnet panelist here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Bob is very, very well-schooled in not just the Edmonton Oilers, but uh, apparently junior hockey and uh, Alberta collegiate hockey as well. Yeah, he got to start calling Golden Bears games. Yeah, I think. he's got a wealth and, of knowledge. And, and, and was, was there for a while. Like so he's a, he's a lifelong Edmontonian that knows all He knows about, a lot of stuff. All about the Oilers. Yeah. Um, are they the one team in the division or the conference that... Yes. 
you don't want to face, <laughs> especially in the first round. Or, because because there's a lot of – because, there, look, there's a lot of people that will even hear all those things that Bob said and be like, yeah, but the Canucks beat the Oilers three times, and I'd love to face the Oilers in the first round of the playoffs. Okay. I am, not, well, I, I am not one of those people. Like, Let's, I, let's I, roll through this. McDavid um, is too scary to me. T- teams that I would be very fearful of – If you look at the, let's look at the playoff picture right now. Teams that I would be fearful of. Um, the wild cards right now are St. Louis – and uh, Los Angeles, I would. I'm not. I'm okay with either one of those. And you could throw Nashville in the mix too because they're on 54 points yeah. as well. Like you're so gonna get. A, you're gonna get a good team, yeah. right? Like, like, like the Blues have beaten the Canucks twice this season, so there is reason. But the, you'd still be like, okay, yeah, yeah, Canucks should be able to over a seven game series handle the the St. Louis Blues. The LA Kings is so funny because earlier in the season we were all like, oh, is that the best team in the NHL? But they've slumped fairly significantly lately, and all of a sudden they don't look so scary. Go to the division that the Canucks currently reside in, and I'm looking at, Na- uh, not Nashville, I'm looking at Vegas, and I'm saying when they're healthy, if they're healthy, they're a problem. But here's the thing. They're not healthy. Eichel's out. He will be back. Carlson's out. He will be back. Theodore's out. He will be back. But... If you can catch them when those guys are banged up, they are a completely fundamentally different team, and they really need Aiden Hill. I also, that. I also think it's hard the second time. Like they won the cup, they went on a long run. They've played a lot of hockey right over but, the last little while. You never know about a guy like Mark Stone's health. Um, but in a seven game series, you're looking at Vegas. You're like, that's a tall order. I don't think it's ra- But who would you rather have, Vegas or Edmonton? I'd rather play Vegas. Vegas right now. Uh, well, then you go to the Central. No, I'm just talking about like. Let's say both teams are healthy. Let's see. Let's say everyone's healthy. You take probably injuries Vegas. Out the- I probably want Vegas over Edmonton. I really do not want to play Edmonton right now and later on down the road or anytime. I feel like they mm-hmm. figured it out. Now go to the Central Division. You'll take your chances against Winnipeg, right? Even though they've got tremendous defensive structure and they've got maybe the Vesna winner, not named Thatcher Demko, uh, you'll still take that matchup. You're not living in fear of the Winnipeg Jets. I think that's fair to say, right? They're a good hockey team. They're well-coached. They're well-schooled. It would be a tight series, but I think you'd, you'd like that. Dallas, same thing. Dallas, for, for a quote-unquote elite team, and let's be fair, they're right up there. Yeah, They don't strike fear into the hearts of anyone. The one team that does in that division is Colorado. But they're not as deep as they were. Well, they're, no, they're, they're not. They're, they're, they're the probably, team that won the Cup was unbelievable. They've still got a few of those guys, but think of the guys they don't have. Colorado is unmatched offensively right now. There's not a more offensively gifted team in the NHL right now than Colorado. And Def- just, defensively, they give up a lot. They give up a ton. It's yeah. crazy that the amount they've given up 153 goals. Okay, that's a lot. Comparatively speaking, look Win- at Winnipeg. Winnipeg is nine. <laughs> but here's the thing. Colorado still has a plus 37 goal differential, despite giving up all those goals. So they would scare me a little bit. Nathan McKinnon scares me a little bit. But to answer your question, the team that scares me the most right now, the team you do not want to play in the playoffs is the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. Teams don't win 16 in a row by fluke. Yeah. And I want to, again, I mentioned this yesterday. I don't think we really hammered it home enough. It's not just, well, McDavid and Dreisaitl figured it out and they're leading them to victory every night. In 14 of the 16 wins, they've held their opponents to two goals or less. Now I know. I know there's people texting into the Dunbar Lumber text line right now. Look at their schedule. Look at all the cupcakes they played. You can only play the teams that are in front of you. And if you play the teams that are in front of you and you dominate them, 
What more can you ask? If it can't be the Canucks winning the Cup this year we're talking about, would you like to see McDavid get to the Stanley Cup final and win the Stanley Cup? No. I thought about this a lot when I saw you pose the question last night. No. I don't care that he hasn't played a big game yet. Oh, I do. If it comes in an international setting, then I have a different thought. But as as far as it exists right now, McDavid is slowly creeping up on public enemy number one for the Canucks in the playoffs because I see it. I see I can see the meeting at the apex, right? And he will have the added fuel to his fire because the Canucks have so thoroughly dominated the Oilers this year. I'll start with wanting him to play a big game if it can't be the Canucks. If you take the Canucks out of the equation, um, I think it's going to take a few years of McDavid going cupless. Not not wearing his jock, just Stanley Cupless. Stanley Cupless. To start cheering for another Canadian team to win it all. Don't forget, there's still a chance the Canucks could sign McDavid when he becomes an unrestricted free agent, and right. then he can win the Stanley Cup. That's true. Right? And then years later, you got, with you gotta, yeah, you got you gotta hold on to that dream. I get it. Um we're gonna take a bit of a different tact in the next segment because we're gonna talk about that other team. In Alberta, the Calgary Flames. Um, we are going to chat with Randy Sportak, who covers the Calgary Flames for the Hockey News now. That's correct. Correct? That's correct. Uh, so Randy has written about the question that we keep asking, and that is, when are the Flames going to start to sell? Um, I want to ask him specifically about Elias Lindholm, a player that's been linked to the Canucks in trade rumors. We'll also talk to him about Chris Tanev, but... What is Elias Lindholm right now as a player? Because his offensive numbers aren't close to what they were a couple of years ago when he played on a line with Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kuchuk, and maybe that's not surprising, but they are quite low. So we'll talk to Randy about the Calgary Flames. When are they going to wave the white towel and start making some trades? And we'll talk about some of the individual players on that team who could be moved prior to the March trade deadline. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you or Visit the brewery to see how it's made. Nothing warms my heart more than a hot mic on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 because everybody, and I mean everybody, that weighs in does it as a warning like, hot mic, and then they text right away. They're like, Halford, don't say anything cancelable. Because we all know you're saying it in the break. I don't say anything incriminating. So, you know, for all the people that ask for our jobs on a near daily basis, that one Corey dude from Twitter, I feel like sometimes you need a little bit of positive reinforcement from your listenership. And we get it. Every time there's a hot mic, they don't want to see us fired. Mm -hmm. They just want us to turn off our microphones. 
and not say anything inflammatory. I have a lot of thoughts on politics. I'll get to them at the next hot mic. <laughs> anyway, we got a lot to get into on the program. Our tour through Alberta continues now. Randy Sportak joins us, Calgary Flames writer for the Hockey News here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Randy. How are you? I'm um, doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So, as I mentioned, we just finished talking to Bob Stoffer in Edmonton, and we're talking about the 16-game win streak and how great everything is going with the Oilers. We're going to take a slightly different tact. With, I can hear you laughing. You take a slightly different tact with the Calgary Flames. It's not that it's going horrible in Calgary. They won a game recently. Won nothing. Over Chicago. Over Chicago. <laughs> so that's a thing. Wee. Yeah, exactly, right? But um, we wanted to talk about all these unrestricted free agents and what Craig Conroy is going to do. And we got to start with Elias Lindholm, who broke a 15-game goal-scoring streak with the game-winning goal over Chicago last time out. So we've talked a lot locally about Elias Pettersson going to the All-Star Weekend in Toronto and all the questions he's going to have to face about his future. Uh, the other Elias, Lindholm, Calgary's pending UFA. Uh, is he going to be facing the same kind of questions when he lands in Toronto for All-Star Weekend? Uh, well, beyond why are you here? Um, yeah, L- yeah Elias that's Lind- another... That's Elias a, Lindholm is in the All-Star game? That was my follow-up question. We can get to that one in a minute. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Elias Lindholm is a fantastic hockey player like numbers aside he's he plays power play penalty kill five on five wins draws he really is a very good center I don't think he's a top line center but I think he is a 1A maybe best in the league number two center right on a team but the fact that he's in an in the all-star game I think is a little bit uh disrespectful because honestly the Flames probably have four other players more deserving this season than than him, and that's that, that's um, again not slagging the guy. It's just that's the facts, you know. Like Blake Coleman, yes, again, if people Blake Coleman in the All Star game, Blake Coleman is got one of the best plus minuses in the league. His analytics are great. He's got twenty goals, you know, plays in all situations, all those things. You know, Igor Sarangovich, if you really want, Mackenzie Weegar is among the top scoring defensemen in goals. Um, there's a lot of goalies, but Jacob Markstrom has had a fantastic season so far. So that's where the all-star game reaction to Elias Lindholm. I mean, even if they, if they wanted name recognition in Toronto, just, you know, have Nazem Kadri go. He's having a decent enough season. So that's, that's why everyone in Calgary went, What? Um, I think Halford jumped the gun a little bit on getting right into the Elias Lindholm talk. I want to ask. Uh, uh, don't worry, I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming you. Don't put don't put you your hands did. up in the air. Well, okay, did. I blamed you a little bit. Uh, but, Under the bus. But mo- but more like, can you give us a general overview of like where the Flames are at right now in their season? Because my big question is like, when when do they wave the white towel on this and? Are they still actually trying to re-sign some of these pending UFAs, and is that possible? I think they're trying to re-sign Noah Hannafin more than any of the other guys. Um, And for good reason, right? He's going to be 27 soon. He's a 22-minute defenseman. I keep thinking he should have better offensive numbers, but he's a guy that plays everything. He is such an amazing hard skater like he's one of those guys when you he skates you hear him skate like he's just got a great stride 
and he's going to be a good skater for eight more years, right? I get I get re-signing him. I also get, you know, trading him for, for a, a big package too, right? I think that's the one of them that they think can sign is worth re-signing. And as for the other guys, I mean, Tanev, you guys know all about Chris Tanev. I mean, mm. if you don't, if you're a, if you're an NHL player or an NHL team and you don't respect Chris Tanev, then just I don't even want to have a conversation with you because <laughs> he is a guy who I mean, he blocks a shot with a face and just kind of goes whatever, right? Like he will do anything for the team. He will do. He will work hard. The problem with keeping a Chris Tanev at this point is you can get something for him, and you pray to God he doesn't get hurt between now and the trade deadline. Mm. Um, and Elias Lindholm, if he thinks he's a $9 million a year center, and maybe the, the numbers will be that for him, the problem is is he's going to be a 37-year-old $9 million a year center on that contract. And that, at this point in the organization, is probably not money well spent. Now, they will have to find another first-line center because they don't have one, you know. Um, but that's that's where teams have to be smart about their money because this team's already put themselves a bit in a jackpot by putting you know giving ten and a half million to Jonathan Huberdo. You can only have so much dollars on the on the cap, and you have to be prudent at the right times. And if they're not going to be prudent, then they're just going to be middling around in seventeenth, sixteenth, fifteenth, eighteenth place forever. So what do you think the strategy is going to be and how much are they hamstrung in creating a strategy by the fact that they do have Huberto and I'll also add in Kadri who's still a good player but he's 33 and he's got a bunch of years left on his contract. And that is the the weird thing because you sell Kadri on coming here, you sell Huberto on a long-term deal because you say we're going to be a competitive team. Uh, Mackenzie Weger, he's also in the first year of a or second year of a long contract as well, or first year actually. Sorry, so you 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 can't you can't sell guys on something and then change the plan this very quickly, right? So th- they are going to be in a, a weird situation, but reality has to sit in at some point. I mean, honestly, uh, it won't shock me if this coming summer uh, one of the teams that you know flames out for lack of a better phrase uh come playoff time because of their goaltending and hey i'm looking at the los angeles kings uh say the new jersey devils get in whatever carolina that they aren't knocking on the door about jacob markstrom with two more years on his deal Mm -hmm. so this is a team that probably two summers ago needed to take a realistic look when they knew that johnny gaudreau and uh, Matthew Kachuk were no longer part of the mix and, you know, uh, Sean Monaghan's injury woes and all those things. If they would have taken that step back two years ago and said, okay, you know what, this is, yes, we had a good team, but this is time to maybe turn a page, they probably would have been better off instead of chasing. And now they've they spent the last two seasons chasing and they're no better off. In fact, they're worse off. So it, it, at some point, they have to take that thing. And, and I, I do think they, you know, someone said to me, well, what's their plan? Well, they've shown the plan. They traded Nikita Zadorov. They're bringing in kids and rolling them through to see what they've got. They're showing the plan. They're just not flat out saying, hey, we're going to trade all these guys. Mm-hmm. What has happened to Jonathan Huberto? 
You know, the funny thing, and, and I'll apologize, I didn't really follow him a lot because I wasn't covering the league for a few years. But I, I, I don't, I've asked people and they, you know, people said, well, he needs, I've heard some people say he needs speedy wingers to open up space for him. Okay, that's fine. But if you're a $10 million player, shouldn't you carry a line? Uh, but I've, you know, talked to other people like, this is not the same player. And he is, he dangerously passes, you know, when a 15 foot pass is, is there, he'll look for the 35 foot pass and, you know, through two sets of legs, when one gets through, whoa, isn't that amazing? But, you know, the three turnovers beforehand, that becomes a problem. And it's made worse by, I don't know if I've ever seen a player who is more inside his own head than this guy, you know, he, I, I'll say this: he takes it to heart that he's struggling. He takes it to heart that he knows the fans are all over him on, you know, every reaction. He hears the, the groans and the boos when he gives away a puck again. Like he, it, you watch this guy and you honestly, I'm wondering how he's not crumbling in front of our eyes because he worries. I mean, I, I covered the Mika Kiprasov years where, you know, what was the great cartoon by Dave Elson was the Mika Kiprasov roller coaster, and it was just flat, right? You didn't know if he let in a goal or made the greatest <laughs> save of all time. And it's, it's such a funny uh, paradox to me of seeing that guy, and then I see Huberto, who he, at sometimes I think he's his own worst enemy. Now, he has to learn. He has to play a better game. He plays too slow. He's not a great skater. He doesn't create space for himself very well. And when you're a passer, in the the way teams close on you now, if you can't create space, you're in real trouble. And that is part of his problem. So getting back to the timing question, are you sensing anything from Craig Conroy that they're ready to start making some deals? And the only reason I ask is because Jim Rutherford um, and Patrick Alvin, you know, Jim Rutherford has a history of making these deals early as opposed to waiting right until the trade deadline to make those deals. So I'm sure, you know, the Canucks are probably pestering a few teams. Are you ready? Are you ready now? What about now? What about, I'll call back tomorrow and I'll see if, I'll see if you guys are ready. Cause I think they want to, they want to do some things. And I'm sure there's a lot of discussions this week during the all-star break with no games going on. Well, I, part of it is that every team in the league is bumped so hard against the cap that, everyone's going to want to wait till March 7th and 8th, right? And, and I, think, I think there are things in the works. Craig has not you know, told me specifically, but if they're not doing these things, then, they're, they're, then it's going to be a massive failure. But I, I think they're just, everybody's so hamstrung. And I'm, I guarantee there are teams that would love to you know, add Chris Tanev now or... Mm-hmm. You know, Elias Lindholm and Incorporated, you know, Colorado desperate, you know, they could use them. They're going to make the playoffs, but they could use them to, to get into the system and all that. And in Vancouver, yeah, you guys are they're going to make moves. But it becomes the money in, money out game. Like, do you think everybody's clamoring to take Kuzmenko's contract back in a deal? Like, I, I, I don't know. Every, nobody wants to spend more money than they have to or than they can. They can't, mm-hmm. they can't do it. So... I think that's the problem. Like uh, the Bo Horvat contract or the trade last year, that those are almost an outlier nowadays, aren't they? Yeah, no, they are. Um, you know, I, the, the the Kuzmenko rumors are starting with a team like um, 
starting to gain some momentum with a team like Chicago because Chicago has the space and they need someone who can score a goal. I know that's not their intent to uh, to win the Stanley Cup or anything this year, but it's kind of getting a little bit embarrassing, um, the fact that they can't seem to score. So the Canucks might be able to clear that pretty quickly. Um, but I get what you mean, and I think you might be right that to hold out for maybe the best offer, Craig Conroy might hold out until the trade deadline. But I guess we'll have to wait and see how the season plays out, Randy. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time this morning, and uh, maybe we'll chat again uh, closer to the deadline. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Randy. We appreciate it. That's Randy Sportech, uh, Hockey News Flames reporter here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Back to the Canucks talk we go. Uh, Sportsnet's very own Ian McIntyre has a new piece up at sportsnet.ca. Go check it out on the internet. The headline is... <clears throat> With new identity under Tockett, nothing feels impossible for the Canucks. Nothing? Nothing. Even flying? Nothing is impossible. If they really, really try, they might be able to do it. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. So, yes, Greg. Sounds like that's he why was he's trying good. to fly. Possible. So I read that headline, and then, of course, I read the article. I just um, read the headline. What's the article just, about? Uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it's about the, the penalty kill. Nice. Um, and I was going to throw this out to the listeners and also to you, Halford, and the dogs, if they want to participate. How much have you allowed yourself to dream about this year's Canucks team? Like, or, or maybe how much do you now expect from this Canucks team? What feels possible like, for you? Like, do you think it could actually happen that they could... I can't even, can't even say it. Could they win the Stanley Cup? Do you expect them to make a run in the playoffs? And I think the um, the question that might help you find out what your expectations are is how mad would you be if they get to the playoffs and they go out in the first round? Will any of you just be happy to be there, just be part of the playoff atmosphere? Oh, the towels are out again. I like that. You know, it's an electric atmosphere. And But the Canucks say they go out in, you know, six games to the LA Kings or the Vegas Golden Knights. Are you furious at that? Because for me, the cup dream is still a bridge too far because it's been too, hasn't been long enough between, between whatever last season was and what it is right now. Granted, like, I don't have much experience with expecting a cup. or No, you, you don't. You know, like the only season I went into with a real favorites mentality was 2010-11. I've imagined in seasons past, a, you know, a series win or two. But honestly, even heading into the 1994 Stanley Cup final against the Rangers, heading into that. So it's the Stanley Cup final, and I'm like... Yeah, like they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and they nearly did. But that Rangers team, if people remember, and some of you may not remember, like they were the team of destiny. That Multiple year. Hall of Famers. They were the team that was going to get it done. And the Canucks were significant underdogs. Outside of Vancouver, the Canucks were almost like, they're just the team that the Rangers are going to play to win the Stanley Cup. And unfortunately, the Rangers ultimately did win the Stanley Cup. Cup. So I would just like to know from the listeners, like, 
where are you guys with this team right now? I'm hearing all sorts of people saying, oh, I want them to go for it. And I understand that. And I think the management is thinking that too. But like, do you honestly think it could actually happen? So the conversation is complex, to put it mildly, because you have to weigh uh, the present, the current state of the team, and you almost have to acknowledge and then decide whether or not you want your history of Canucks fandom to play into this. Because historically, I've kind of been trained to expect the worst or really not have high expectations because it's always ended in disappointment. Well, it's also very difficult to win the Stanley Cup. And herein lies the second part of it, is that in 2011, tick, mandatory 2011 reference for the day, um, the sheer roller coaster of that playoff run, I think encapsulated why expectations are totally useless, right? I remember, here's the chronology of it, I remember it exactly like this. The day prior to the end of the regular season, I was super excited about the Canucks' chances to go deep in the playoffs. Then when I found out they drew Chicago in the first round, that that enthusiasm was dampened. Then that enthusiasm was raised because they went up 3-0 in the series. (laughs) Then it cratered. (laughs) And I was like, this isn't just going to be a first-round exit. It's going to be the the worst first-round exit ever. Oh, my God. Then... They started handling their business in a way that you thought it was an inevitability. They had gotten over the hard part. Chicago, Nashville, no problem. San Jose, no problem. Didn't even push them past game six. Had a little help from the stanchion. Yeah, but that was game five, right? If the stanchion wasn't there, they had plenty of other kicks at the can. The point being is that when they got to the Stanley Cup final, um, I think I allowed myself to think that that was going to be not the easy part, but that the, the heavy lifting and the real challenges had been met. And what a foolish thought that was. Well, especially when they went up 2 nothing too. I was like, they're going to win the Cup. Now, here's the, the, the other part of this is that I feel like it's unfair to the current crop of Canucks to project past failures onto them because what they're doing right now should be celebrated in a vacuum as tremendous, tremendous growth, tremendous potential, and tremendous excitement for what might come in the playoffs. Matt from Maple Ridge texts in, and I could have sent this text. He texts in, 2011 felt certain. The team felt unbeatable. That was the mood. This team came out of nowhere. It's almost like we all got blindsided. And although statistically on many levels we are doing incredible, it doesn't feel certain. I'm more hopeful and optimistic than confident. Well, I'd say, I, yeah, I don't even know if I'd use optimistic. That would be my, ch- I, I'd say I'm more hopeful than confident. I mean, look, but, 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 I just want to, I just want to. I didn't wanna... expect the Canucks to be where they are right now. So hopefully this is just a, you know, I know we try and match, um, you know, our brains are, they pick up patterns, right? So mm-hmm. they think, you know, okay, well, to win the Stanley Cup, first of all, you got to, you know, the the way it goes is you're a bad team and then you get better and eventually you make the playoffs and then you get to the playoffs and you learn a lesson in the playoffs and maybe it takes you a few years like those losses to Chicago um, before 2010-2011 and then you keep learning and maybe some of those other teams get worse and then all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat and you finally get over the hump and 
then you either get to the final or you actually win the cup, right? Like there is a progression that happens. It doesn't happen that you're like the laughing stock of the league, which the Canucks were like a year ago. Like just and, and then the next year you win the Stanley Cup. Now I thought about that. I actually thought about that last night. The like, Blues did it, it in one season, right? <laughs> okay, good. I want to go on. I want to. I want to expand on that because there was something about the, the lit- Blues were a good team the seasons it's, it's before an that. Right? No, no, but it's not an outlier because the the linear progression theory is great, except that last year a Stanley Cup finalist came from a Florida team that was kind of just whatever. Mid is the word. Two years prior, and we're going into the bubble here, and I know you will have an asterisk beside it, but we're talking Montreal was a Stanley Cup finalist. Dallas was a Stanley Cup finalist. The year prior to Dallas, it was the St. Louis Blues going from worst to first. The year prior to that, it was an expansion team, the Vegas Golden Knights going to the final and losing to the Washington Capitals. And then you had Nashville making a Stanley Cup final, and you had the San Jose Sharks finally getting over the hump and making a Stanley Cup final. And the San Jose Sharks were the last true linear progression team, I would say, where it was this group of guys that went through the losses and went time and time again to the playoffs and got there. All I'm saying is that there are instances over the last five or six years in the National Hockey League where there is a a one-year wonder or a team that just gets hot and goes far in the playoffs, doesn't win at all, because I do think there's an element of either luck running out, magic running out, or quite frankly, last year in the case of the Florida Panthers, just getting burned out. Like, we spent everything to get to this point. Well, facing pretty tough opponents increasingly as you go yeah. along. Too. And then you're just done by the end of it, but right? Maybe. And I do wonder if... I do have a problem with people bringing up that St. Louis team as just this team that went from worst yeah. to first. Like they, were, they were good. If you look paper. at their seasons beforehand, I mean, they missed the playoffs the year before, but... They were a 94-point team. They, they they weren't an embarrassing team. And the years before that, um, when they were under like – Mike Yo was not a good coach for them. But maybe he'll be a better coach for the Canucks as an assistant. But, like, he yeah. – you know, he, it, it, it didn't work with him. But when they had Hitch as their coach, like, they were a 100-point team. M- multiple seasons – they made it to conference finals. And a lot of those players that were part of those 100-point teams – we're part of that team that ultimately won the Stanley Cup. Plus, Let, they added some good players. Let's right? look at it this way, then. All of these teams had good players and good talent and the potential to be good. They just happened to get hot at the exact right time, which is not what not, nobody wants to hear because no one wants to hear about getting on a heater. But the Blues got on a heater. Florida last year barely made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And Florida should have been out in the first round against Boston. They scored with a minute left in Game 7 in regulation well, of force overtime. If you look back at history, there's a lot of Stanley Cup winners that easily could have been out in the first round, like the Boston Bruins in 2011 who needed overtime in Game 7 against the Habs. And well, that's maybe, what, though, yeah. maybe... This is the hockey gods' way of rewarding Canucks fans for 53, 54 years of, of pain. It's like, okay, yep. we're going to give you guys one year where literally nothing goes wrong. You don't have any injuries. I'm knocking on wood so hard right now. You have, don't have any injuries. You go all the way to the finals and win the cup. We'll give you this one year before something bad happens again. And maybe that's the hockey gods' way of apologizing to Canucks fans for all of the scars and the torment we've been through. I'm sorry. I... Blacked out after you said, I'm knocking on wood so hard right now. <laughs> I knew what I was just saying at the time, and I He's instantly regretted it. He's getting excited, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I'm a teenager I, all over again. I'm still in disbelief and waiting for something to go wrong, but I've also hit the point now where I'm like, okay, this team is something special. I, I hope they at least win a couple rounds, but if they somehow make the finals, maybe this is our year, baby.
one final segment to come on the Halford, or one final hour to come on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. 8 o'clock hour, Brendan Bachelor is going to join us. Then we will dive into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket, read some of your texts uh, in the final half hour. You're listening to the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650.